Okay, cool. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 18. If you got it on your phone, you could look it up. If you don't, I don't have it on the screen because I'm going to tell you stories, just like Jesus did. But if you've got a Bible, you can read along. Um, mostly also just to highlight the parts that stand out to you. But um, also if you just want to listen, like the people who Jesus was talking to would have, uh, then that's cool too. So Luke 18, we're going to go verse 1 through 14. There's two kind of parables here that are pretty cool. Uh, Jesus um, is having some dope conversations here about praying, okay? And so this is after, uh, there's some cool things. Jesus gives some instructions. After that, there, there's uh, lepers that are cleansed, which was a big deal in that time. Leprosy was like the, the, uh, the no, way worse than COVID. Uh, leprosy, like your, your skin fell off. Um, leprosy was the like uncurable disease of the time uh, that, that was running rampant. It's like, I would say that leprosy was, is probably most equivalent to um, maybe cancer or maybe AIDS and, 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 those, and, and how those have run rampant in certain areas of the world where folks um, are just uh, devastated by that, right? Um, and so leprosy was a big deal. So Jesus is healing people of this leprosy. This is like, this is like oh my God, this is like if someone went to uh, different places around the world, like uh, like AIDS is a huge uh, problem in Africa. Let's say Jesus goes to Africa and just starts healing people of AIDS, right? Like that, this would be like groundbreaking. Or Jesus goes to like a cancer facility and just starts healing people of cancer, like terminal cancer, stage four cancer, and Jesus is just healing people. Like this is a huge deal. And it was a, a bigger deal because these people were outcasts from society. Like right now, if you have stage four cancer, you can live among people uh, and uh, live out your days in that way. In the Bible times, if you had leprosy, um, you were outcast. You had to live outside of the city. You weren't allowed to touch anybody or communicate with anybody, get within a certain distance of the city. So you were an outcast, right? And we talked about how Jesus goes and reaches the outcast. So he cleanses the lepers, and then he, and then after that, he, he tells of the second coming, right? The second coming of Christ. Like, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And this is kind of, the, so this is a big deal. Jesus is claiming a lot of stuff. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, he says stuff, some stuff about prayer. So verse 1, chapter 18, we'll just jump right into it. And uh, I was about to tell you how long I was going to preach for, but um, I know better now, okay? So... It's going to be a little bit of time. Here, here's the thing also, though. I, I, just, I just listened to, sorry, I listened to uh, this thing on Instagram that was talking about how this guy was tired of going to these youth conferences and, uh, and camps and preaching his heart out to these students, and then they go back to a youth group that preaches to them for 15 minutes and then feeds them pizza, right? Here's the thing. Like, if this is really about our eternity, like, I can take 30, 35 maybe 40 minutes sometimes, to, to tell you about Jesus. Is that okay? Because uh, your schools, culture, social media, get all the other time in your life. And I get like, I get an hour and a half on Wednesday, and I get to speak for like 35, 40 minutes of that. And so I'm going to take all of it because uh, we as Christians are called to be countercultural. I'm going in a different direction, but it's okay. Countercultural. Um, if you read like... The, the Hebrew law, the Old, Old Testament law, 
every single law of it was countercultural to what, to what everybody else was doing. God himself is countercultural. Back in the day, even today, we, we, we think of Hinduism and other, and other uh, religions, but back in the day uh, with uh, all the pagan gods, there was multiple, multiple gods, and you were to please the gods. You were to do whatever you can to, to reach up to the gods and please them. And then our God is one God who comes to us to serve us. Everything about God is completely opposite of what the world is. Right? In the, in, in the times of when Jesus comes, he talks about divorce. I don't even know what I'm preaching about at this point. But Jesus talks about this in, in, in early, uh, in the first few chapters of Matthew, uh, in the Beat- kind of before the uh, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about divorce. And this is a big deal uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, back in that day, the Greco-Roman world was a very sexualized uh, group of people. So it was all like willy-nilly and whatever, like no strings attached, right? And so Jesus is saying that you ought to be, if you're going to be married, then you ought to stay married. And he kind of he, he kind of ups, ups the ante that that the divorce is not an option, right, for 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 Christians, right? And this is like super provocative. It did two things. One, it made uh, the the idea of marriage a super big deal. Um, and but not not an idolized deal like a man that that's tough, right? And then the other thing it did is it actually liberated women. Because before, a man could marry a woman, and whenever he was done with her, he would divorce her. And after a woman had, had been married to a man, she was pretty much deemed worthless. And so Jesus is doing, Jesus is a part of, of justice. Jesus is a part of, of healing the world. Jesus is a part of doing a lot of these different things, all right? And so... Um, I don't even know why I was talking about that, but it's good. Okay, so verse 1. Oh, because we're supposed to be countercultural. Okay, so here we go. Now we're on to the next thing. (laughs) Now, he was telling them a parable, which we're talking about, parables, to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Right, you guys have heard me talk about the scripture that says pray without ceasing, right? You guys have heard me talk about that, right? And it's like a continual uh, aspect of being with God, right? And so he says, in a certain city, there was a judge. Everybody say judge. It might have been Judge Judy. I'm not sure. I don't know if the timeline adds up, but there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. He said, she's a pest, so I'm going to get rid of her by just saying yes. That rhymed. I'm a rapper. Okay. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And he will, and will he delay longer over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he 
will he find faith on the earth? So here's the thing that's this is talking about. There's a judge. A woman comes to the judge, and she's begging, right, for justice. And the judge isn't giving it to her, but she keeps begging, she keeps begging, she keeps begging. And the point of the story is that this judge is not a good judge. This judge is not a good person. But eventually, even that judge says, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll give it to you. Go away. And so what Jesus is saying is that God is a good God and a good judge. So how much more, if you are praying to God and you're begging for mercy and you're begging for him to come to your aid, how much quicker would God come to your aid than the unjust judge? Right? So this is what he's saying. This is what Jesus is begging you for consistency. Would you keep talking to me? Would you keep praying? Would you keep bringing your, your, your worries and your, and your cares before him, right? But then he asks this really sobering question. He says, when the Son of Man comes back, right? Remember, he just got done telling him about the second coming. He says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find any faith in the world? Basically, what he's asking is, when I come back, will I find people who have kept praying? Even when it doesn't seem to work out. Will I find people who keep asking God, even if he does it in his timing, not theirs? Will I find people who believe in God and also believe God? This is what Jesus is asking. He's he's asking them the question is, how much do you believe in me? How much do you trust me? Right? You ever done something scary and someone's like, hey, do you trust me? Most of the time you're like, no. <laughs> Why would I trust you, you know? It's like, you got to trust me. It's like I remember when my dad was teaching me how to ride a bike. And if any of you uh, remember how you were taught, most, most people would teach you, whether it was a parent or an older sibling or a, uh, an older adult you look up to, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll kind of grab the handlebar in your seat and they'll walk around with you. And you're like, I'm doing it. I'm running the bike, you know. And then eventually what they do is they just hold the back of the seat. And then they tell you the biggest lie you've ever heard in your entire life. I'm going to hold on the whole time. No, you're not, right. But they're holding on to the back of the seat, right. And eventually they know that you're sturdy because they're just putting their hand on it like this. And then eventually they let go. But the question always comes about, I remember my dad asking him, Brett, do you trust me? Like, Dad, I'm going to fall. I'm going to scrape my knees. I'm going to hurt myself. And he's like, hey, hey, Brett, you're wearing a helmet. You got all the things on. Do you trust me? And when I actually rode the bike was when I decided to say yes. Yes, I trust you. If I didn't trust my dad, I wouldn't have rode the bike. Right? Which is the crazy thing because eventually he let go. So just like Peter walking on the water, the me trusting in my dad was actually trusting in the Brett that my dad believed in. Jesus, like Peter needed to walk, keep walking, he needed to trust in the, in the Peter that Jesus believed in, right? So Jesus is saying, how much do you trust me? That you'll keep asking, that you'll keep showing up, that you'll keep praying, because I'll, I'll come through, Right? Now, if I pray in every day, like, God, would you give me a Ferrari? Like, I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that prayer is going to be answered because I don't know that that's God's will, right? But we can know God's will because of this book right here. And so I've got a friend, right, who desperately needs Jesus. 
And so I'm praying, like, God, I, I pray that you would just give me an opportunity to share your love with that friend. Or, God, would you, just, would you yourself just show up in their lives, God? I, I, or maybe it's a parent. Lord, I want my dad to, to be a Christian so bad. I want my dad to love you. Or I want my mom to come to know you. Or maybe it's that you're struggling with something in yourself, right? God, I want to serve you, but this one part of my life, I don't know how to reconcile that. I want to serve you so bad, but I, also, I, I wish that this part of my life wasn't there or that it was okay. And then Jesus is reaching out his hands to us as he's teaching us how to walk, as he's teaching us how to be like him. And he says, do you trust me? So then he goes on in verse 9, a different kind of story. And actually, hold, hold, if you're reading your Bible, hold your finger there. I have one more thing to say. As we pray, I was uh, reading this kind of text by, um, uh, I forgot the name. It's not anti right. It's the other one with the two. Uh, anyways, I'll get you the I'll get you the name of the the person uh, later. But I was reading this this text and, and it was about prayer. A W Tozer. Uh, that's who the name is. A W Tozer. And it was I was reading this thing about prayer and and A W Tozer said, maybe we ought to pray prayers of preparation more often. In our world, we, we, we too often pray prayers of reaction. God, everything went wrong. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I'm freaking out. I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like you're present. Like everything went wrong. My friends hate me. My family hates me. My family's breaking apart. I don't understand what's going on. I, can't, I don't even feel like I'm in my right mind. God, help me. But what if, and not that that's a bad prayer, but it's an exhausting prayer. What if I walk into a situation, God, whatever comes my way, would you give me peace? God, I'm not anxious right now, but when I become anxious, would you be there with me? God, I feel pretty good right now, but I'm walking into a situation that might go wrong. And if it does, God, would you give me clarity of mind? Right? Maybe we should pray prayers of preparation. Nobody went into battle without preparing for battle. You go and ask the general, hey, general, what's, what, what's, what's the game plan here? What's our strategy? Who knows, dude? Let's just, I mean, swords and, swords and shields, you know? Just said it, dude. You'd be like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm out. But we're always talking about spiritual warfare. Like, oh, we're, we're fighting the battles with Jesus. And we don't prepare one bit. We hardly even read our word. We walk in and wonder why we just got pieced up in that battle. <laughs> We're like, oh, right? What just happened? And Jesus is like, you didn't prepare for that. It's like the story of Job. God says, you can go after Job. He's ready. There's a lot of people that weren't ready. Actually, everybody else in the world <laughs> wasn't ready. So are you ready? I love to pray for you after bad things happen, but I would love to pray for you before bad things happen. Like, come to me, hey, Brett, this is coming up, and it could go bad, or it could go great. Well, let's pray for it. 
Instead of you coming to me afterwards, Brett, it went awful. <laughs> I'll still pray with you and I'll love on you. But that's, that'll wear you down after a while. Go into the test, God. I studied my best. I did everything I could. I prepared as best as I could for this test. Because that's your job. Right? But God, would you do the rest? Whatever I might forget, would you bring back to my memory? Whatever I might be missing here, would you help me out with that? Right? Okay, so we're moving on. Verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So he says this. Two men went into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. So Pharisee was like a a high-ranking person in the religious world, right? Maybe similar to what we would feel like a pastor today or a priest or something like that. Not the same, but just to paint the picture in your head. So a person high up in the religious world, right? And then the other, a tax collector. To paint it as bluntly as I can, a dirtbag, okay? (laughs) The reason I say this is because tax collectors were usually Jewish folks who were working for Rome to uh, oppress other Jewish folks. So they were jerks, (laughs) okay? So a Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple. This is a good joke. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so in the first story, Jesus is asking consistency, and he's asking for trust. In the second story, once again, we talked about it last week, but Jesus is asking once again for humility. The Pharisee who's like, He thinks he's praying a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that I'm not like that idiot. (laughs) Lord, thank you that I don't screw up as bad as everybody else. Lord, thank you that that, that I tithe all of my money. Lord, thank you that I'm so great. You've truly blessed me. (laughs) Right? And everyone's like, what a dirtbag, you know? And then the tax collector, who everybody hates, who everybody's looking down on, says... And agrees with everybody else. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus says that the tax collector went home justified. And the Pharisee didn't. It's not about what we do. It's, it's about what's in our heart. And if our heart is right, we'll do what's right. But some people do what's right with a bad heart. And some people do evil things with decent intentions. So we got to marry the, the two of those things. we got to have a good heart. And because of that, because of our acknowledgement of who Jesus is, we do the right thing, right? I'll end with this. There's this story in Isaiah 6, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because it would be too long to read. But I'd love for you to read it yourself. It's Isaiah 6. It starts right there. 
It's this crazy, symbolic, imagery, weird story of a vision from Isaiah. But Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high upon a throne. And he says, in the entirety of his robe filled the temple. Right? So there's some, there's some imagery here, right? In, in the year that the king died, we're all scared, right? It's like when the world's going to crap, I'm freaked out. I looked up and I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Okay. Heaven has an occupied throne. Right? And then the entire temple was filled with his glory, with his robe. Right? It's like, wow, he's so great. And then he tells a story about these things called seraphim, which are like these weird angel things with like a bunch of eyes and legs and stuff. And they've got three sets of wings, and one to cover their feet, one to cover their eyes, and the other one to fly with. And, uh, and you're like, what the seraphim? You know, right? and, then, and then after recognizing the glory of God, Isaiah says, I'm, I'm not worthy to even speak. I have, I, I have unclean lips, and I come from a tribe with unclean lips. And the seraphim comes up to him with a burning coal and presses it on his lips, cleansing him with fire, and says, you have cleansed lips now. And let that be a reason to rejoice. And then Isaiah rejoices. And then God says, who will go for us? Who shall we send, right? And Isaiah says, send me. And you're like, Brett, why are you telling this story? <laughs> because here's what happened with the tax collector. Here's our response to worship. Our response in worship should be that I see the Lord seated high on the throne and I understand his majesty. The reason we come to church, the reason we learn about God is because if I fully understand God, I'll fully understand how messed up I might be. How unworthy I am. And this is not to beat yourself up. Oh, I'm a loser. No, it's not that. It's, 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 I, I, I see the king. And I, I see his glory, I see his majesty, and I'm unworthy, and I'm, and I'm a sinner, and, 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 I, and I, I don't even deserve to speak. I don't even deserve to be here. And for some reason, he calls me his son. For some reason, he calls me his daughter. And, he, and, and I said the very thing. Isaiah said that I have unclean lips, and the seraphim came and cleansed his lips. Basically saying, what's your excuse now? And because of that, the very thing that, that he was saying is holding him back, God ratified God gave salvation for and so he's he, he's he's grateful and excited and so so what happens is he sees God's glory and because of of seeing God's glory you recognize our depravity you see that God is so good and you recognize that we're all so bad <laughs> but because we recognize we're bad now there's an opportunity for salvation if you're the tax, if you're the uh, the Pharisee who's like, "Thank you, Lord, I'm so great," then the Lord's like, "Well, I have nothing to cleanse, so go on your way." But for the person that said, "Like, I've got unclean lips, right? I, I've got, I, I'm struggling," and then God's like, "This is perfect. I have grace for you." And so we see God, we see ourselves. It opens the door for salvation, and then it opens the door for gratitude. And then what does that open the door for? A life filled with worship. God says, who will we send? And, and he says, send me. Send me. 
So let that be our prayer. Let that be what we get out of today. Is that if we're singing that song that he's never going to let me down. We just sing other songs that you're never going to give up on me. How could I possibly give up on God? I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep asking for his will. I'm going to keep asking for these things and they're going to come to pass. All of his promises are yes and amen, right? So if I pray into those, I'll get yes and amen. And then the other thing is humility. If I come to the Lord understanding fully who he is, I recognize fully who I'm not. (laughs) At the same time, who I am. And because of that, there's room for salvation. There's room for grace. There's room for mercy. It's like how I preached a couple weeks ago about righteousness. The thing that we have to do is we all have to recognize that sin is bad. (laughs) And it's overrun the world. And the thing, like I said at the beginning, the thing about being a Christian is we're countercultural. If I look on Instagram and I see that my favorite uh, political party or my favorite, like, uh, social group or my favorite whatever is agreeing with everything I believe in, I'm probably wrong. But if I believe something about God and I believe something and then it doesn't match up with everything I'm seeing in the world, pretty good. <laughs> Doing the right thing. Right? And then so each and every one of you are going to have an opportunity God's still asking that question, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And you have an opportunity to say, like, God, you know, I got other things. Or you could say, Lord, send me. But if you say, Lord, send me, you got to be prepared to do what he's asking you to do. Right? It's a big task. And maybe it's as simple as inviting a friend to invite night. Because that's the whole point of invite night. (laughs) To invite a friend. Right? And so we read these stories. Who's going to go for us? Here I am. Send me. You know? I'm going to go after the one. Well, then actually do it. Right? So, let that be our prayer. Lord, (laughs) whatever you want to do, I know that you're doing it in this group. God, that you're doing it in our hearts. And you want to do it through us, Lord. So, help us to say yes. Help us to Set aside our desires, help us to set aside our flesh and say yes, Lord. If you would have, if you gave up your position in heaven to come down on earth and live a life in a fallen world, die on the cross for us, experience separation from God, then why can't we possibly maybe give up something we like? You gave up everything for us. So help us to sacrifice, to follow you, to go all in. To sell out completely for you. To be willing to give everything. No matter what. We love you. Thank you for your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.